Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everyone. How is everybody? Oh, I hope you're all good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited about tonight's guest. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. I am also the uh, owner. Let me get my breath here. My allergies are real bad. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you think you have a paranormal issue going on, we can get to you. We may be a couple counties away, but we'll get to you because we have people spread all over the place. We've also got branches in Nevada, Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii. So if you need help, just let me know. Just head over to the excuse me, California Haunts website at CaliforniaHaunts.org and shoot me a message. Or head on over to CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com or check us out on Facebook. You know, there's like two California Haunts pages there, as well as my profile, which is public. Anyhow, if you're watching from Facebook, speaking of which, please hit the, and you like what you see, please hit that follow button. And if you're watching from Twitch, please do the same thing and hit that follow button. Now, if you're over on YouTube and you like what you see, there's a little ghost down in the bottom right-hand corner with a magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat on. Hit that, and that'll make you a subscriber. Because if you look through all those videos, there's close to 280 videos over there of different topics. And I think there's something you'll find that's going to interest you. And a little bit of something for everybody over there. Okay? All right. I want to make an announcement in, is that we are setting up another ghost hunt. And I don't have a, it's a date to be determined, but we're going to be taking out six lucky people on an actual ghost hunt of a haunted hotel with us. And uh, you get to mess with our equipment, uh, not mess with it, but actually use the equipment that we use out in the field. We'll train you how to do all that, work the cameras, uh, you know, and, and all that good stuff. We're going, to, we're going to train you how to set all that up and do all that stuff. We're going to teach you how to be investigators. So it's a... Hands-on learning thing, okay? You learn how California Haunts does this, and it'll help you when you go out, even if you're just going out for fun, because we'll show you how to do proper EVP protocol and things like that. All right? So uh, that's going to be coming up. I still don't know the date. I'm also still working on that project uh, with that nice lady that was on who uh, was drawing portraits of the dead, and we're working on uh, a giveaway for that. That that would be one portrait, and we're going to have raffle tickets so I can raise some money for California Haunts. Sound cool? You like that idea? Okay, cool. Cool. I like the idea, too. Just this a little bit before we start. Tonight's guest, I got when I was a kid, I don't think there's a kid in this world who doesn't get into dinosaurs when they're little. You know? I really don't think there is. There might be. But I remember when I was little, I had this enormous book of dinosaurs. And I'm old, okay? So, to give you an idea, when I started getting into dinosaurs, there were only like five major dinosaurs. Five. And now, I mean, it's just crazy. Even I get lost. You know, I see these things. I see these things on, on KVIE, or I see them on Discovery Channel, and I'm like, where are those? Where did those come from? But it's just, it's people like our guest tonight, Billy Doran, who hunt down these things and dig them up. And the best thing about what Billy's doing He's, he's out there in Colorado, which is a hotbed. It's always been a hotbed. Ever since I was a kid, it was a hotbed. Okay? But the beautiful part about what he's doing 
is he's got a museum where he, you know, he, where, he, where he has bones you know, and all the artifacts and all the fossils and all that. But he also takes people out on digs so you can get a feel for what it's like to actually find a dinosaur and how they bring the bones out and all that stuff. Because I remember the old days when the pictures, the pictures always had these guys, you know, these Indiana Jones looking guys leaning over these bones, you know, with, with little with little hammers and chisels and snapping, you know, chip, chip, chip. And then out would come the plaster of Paris and they'd wrap the, wrap the bones up and then they'd haul them out with something, you know, and put them in a truck and off they went. So it'd be, it'll be interesting to talk with Billy to see how much that has changed and how, you know, and how, and how the dating, you know, the, the new dating systems they have for this. But his goal is to bring about awareness of the, of the past and the dinosaurs and, and, and to get people more into it and involved. And I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. Okay. So anyway, getting back to my little past, I remember my mother was so impressed because, you know, Disneyland, when you take the train and, uh, they have the part where you journey from the uh, Grand Canyon and into the primeval world. My mother was so impressed because I could name every dinosaur in there, you know, well, at that time, that was just about practically every dinosaur that, that they really knew about. And so Walt Disney got it right, you know. But uh, now I couldn't, now I, I can name those. And, of course, your Velociraptor and all that, you know, and the Jurassic Park, of course. But, I mean, anything beyond that, and, and there's just so many of them, I can't name. So, anyway, I'm just trying to say. Uh I'm excited to talk with Billy tonight because I'm just really, really into this stuff. Anyhow, I'm just looking at something really quick. Okay. And uh, let's bring Billy on before I get distracted again. How's that sound? <laughs> All right, Charlotte. Hey. Hello, How's it going? Oh, it's going good. I'm so excited tonight. Yeah, me too. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. This technology stuff, you know, I'm, I'm a bone digger. The technology kind of goes over my head sometimes, so... I want to make sure you can hear me okay. You know what? You know what's funny is you're absolutely right. I grew up like that too. There was like five dinosaurs. There was like maybe five. And now I think to date, I think that they discovered something around 700 or something like that. It's and crazy. Also, it's crazy. And, and at this rate, like a lot of the digging going on in China, for example, they're finding new species practically every month. Like it's, it's insane how many things they're finding. And, you know, they still think that there's 500, you know, I say they kind of the, the, the science, you know, if you will, they kind of estimate, guesstimate that there's another 500 that haven't been found yet, you know, and another hundred or so, maybe more that'll never be found for whatever reason they didn't fossilize. They're under lava beds. They're under New York city for whatever reason, we'll just never find them. It's so exciting. You know, it's, it really is. Yeah. It's yeah, so it is. Because, I mean, like, like, like you see, there, there are five major dinosaurs. I mean, you go through anywhere, like I said, the, that Disney ride. You know, the pterodactyls, they're staring at you. You know, Tyrannosaurus Rex is there, Stegosaurus is there, Triceratops. You know, and uh, it, it's, just, it's, it's just so incredible to me now to hear the names of these things and, and see them, you know, in, in the well, just, that they have. For example, like a, a dinosaur like Triceratops. We all grew up with Triceratops. The mm -hmm. three horns, the big mm -hmm. frill. Well, now... You know, um, just me personally, I've dug up bones from about four or five different horned dinosaurs, cousins of Triceratops. And there's horned dinosaurs that go back 
millions of years before Triceratops. And, you know, they're, 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 the world of the horned dinosaurs is enormous. And that's just one type. So it just gives you an idea how much we're, we're literally just scratching the surface of, of what's still to be found out in the prehistoric world. Tell everybody about you and what you do. About me? Yeah. You know what? I have a, I have a varied story, I think. <laughs> I've worn a lot of hats. And you mentioned the whole Indiana Jones hat. This is, you know, you will see. I was noticing that. Practically wearing a hat like this. And I was noticing that. I thought you put your Indiana Jones hat on for me. You kind of earn your hat. This this hat, I have. I bet I've dug up a dozen different dinosaurs with just this hat, plus crocodiles and stuff like that. Your hat kind of becomes your your field mate, you know, your buddy in the field, because this is what saves you from a scorched head for sure. Is your hat? So that's definitely a big part of it. So Indiana Indiana had it right with the hat. That's a big part of it. But I um, you know, I I've worn again theoretically, I've worn a lot of hats. I, I've been a I've been a professional photographer. Uh, I, I was an actor. I was a TV personality myself. I I have a I was a ditch digger. I did met plenty of construction jobs. I clean up after horses. You know, you name it. I, I've probably done it in my resume somewhere along the line. But uh, I kind of fell into paleontology 14, 15 years ago uh, as a professional sort of angle. I, I always loved it. And uh, I, you know, to those folks who are watching or listening right now. Um, who might be able to sympathize with this. I, I, I never thought I was smart enough to be a paleontologist or a scientist for that matter. There was um, classes I didn't do great at. You know, I was not a bad student. I just wasn't a, a, an out of this world student for whatever reason. I, I was a kid growing up who could tell you everything in the woods of Virginia that slithered, crawled, hopped, stung, flew, swam, you name it. But if you put a biology test in front of me, I'm probably going to fail it just because. Mm -hmm. So I never, I never, I never chased that field when I was in college. Uh, it wasn't until kind of later in my adult life that I really started studying heavily uh, via the internet, via a lot of books and stuff like that, self teach, self teaching. And then I think part of it is I got really lucky. I went out on my first kind of uh, self self uh, designed expedition, if you will, here in Eagle County, Colorado, in an area that I've I've been looking at for many many years. And for whatever reason, just because it looked like a cool fossil spot, you know, mm -hmm. fossils are always found in sedimentary rock, whether it's right. sandstone or mudstone or siltstone or shale or something like that. And this area had all those elements. And I always had it in my radar, but never checked it out. It was a kind of an inaccessible area. It was uh, you had to walk several miles just to get to it on the other side of a river that was pretty high flowing. You couldn't just cross it. Um, and I finally walked up there one day and planned it out. And, and I started finding dinosaur bones within about 30 minutes. And it was an absolute uh, 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 luck of the draw, I think, really is what it was. You know, they, they say your luck is, uh, is what's opportunity and, 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 and knowledge combined or something like that, something to that effect. And I had, uh, I had been working on a TV show here locally for a few years. And I'd been looking for interesting uh, interviews. And one of the guys was uh, I'd been looking at was a guy named Kirk Johnson, who was head of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science at that time. And so I'd already built up a little bit of a relationship. So I sent some pictures. I said, hey, Kirk, I think you found some dinosaur bones up here in Eagle County, you know, right down the road from Denver. And he kind of responded going, yeah, probably not. You know, you're up in, you're up in the high elevation, the high, the high country, they call it, literally where the ski resort towns are. And there's, there's, really, no, there's really not many areas that we found bone-bearing rock layers. So I probably not. But I'm coming through in a couple of days. I'll stop by and, and check out what you found. His first words were, holy, <laughs> you got dinosaur bone. 
And I said, that's what I thought, you know, so that's kind of in all my studies and all that kind of stuff. He goes, no, you don't understand. This is, they're not supposed to be dinosaurs in Eagle County in the high country of Eagle County. So that kind of just started the whole thing. And, and uh, it's grown into an absolute passion and I get to get out of bed every day and be a kid every day. That's fabulous. When you're telling this story, I'm thinking about Josh Gates when they went after the woolly mammoths and they were way up, way up in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. He's hanging off the, he's hanging off the cliff by a rope and they're, and they're digging up to to these mammoths. I saw that episode. Yeah. And you know what? That's uh that's not too far off of the first expedition I got invited on by Kirk Johnson, who's now Mm -hmm. head of the Smithsonian and also one of the hosts on PBS for a lot of their earth science shows. He's an incredible guy, like amazing and great on camera. And we went to dig it over in Snowmass next to Aspen, Colorado. They discovered this massive treasure trove of Ice Age fossils. And among them, we dug up, we ended up digging up three woolly mammoths, 44 mastodons, um, ground sloths, uh, camels, bison, horses, you name it. It was an incredible. But yeah, that, that, that show, Josh Gates' show, is great. I mean, that was watching him do that. I was like, yeah, been there, done that. You see bones just falling out of the hill and you just, your mind is, it just explodes. You're a little boy again going, oh, my God, this is prehistoric stuff just sitting here, you know, and it's overwhelmingly amazing. I have a question. You know, when you look at Jurassic Park and you see uh, the first scene of, of, of the area where the professor is working, you know, towards the yeah. dig, how, real, how realistic is that? In my experience, it's not very realistic. I know there's new okay. technology, but, you know, part of the problem with, with fossils is, especially when you get into dinosaurs, you know, they've mineralized. They're basically rock. So like in the movie, when they when they were doing those, blowing those sonar things down and on the computer screen, it showed this beautiful skeleton. First of all, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you never see a skeleton beautifully laid out like that. You might see a part of a tail or a leg, but that, that, that skeleton, generally speaking, I'm not saying it never happens, but generally speaking, skeletons are in pieces They've been scavenged before they've been buried. They've been shaken apart under those layers for millions of years of earthquakes. You know, skulls are, are hollow, so they're imploded and busted into 100 pieces. Teeth fall out. So that kind of scene is, is uh, it's a beautiful scene. But as a paleontologist or a dinosaur hunter, that's a dream come true that you'll probably never see. Um, because, because of the mineralization, there's really not a lot of technology, I think, that can sink sonar waves down in the rock and separate a, a dinosaur bone that has mineralized into stone next to another stone. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like they're just going to show up as rocks. So, and I think that's one of the things that I've always loved about paleontology is that I, I'm not, I'm not a technologically advanced guy. <laughs> you know, I love technology. It's fun. It's great. But I love paleontology because you go out in the field and you're doing the same, you're doing it the same way they've done it for 150 years. It's the, it's the weight of a backpack on your back. It's ropes. It's manpower of carrying that thing out. It's using your eyes to find it. It's tedious work. You know, you were talking earlier in the show about the, the tediousness of, of paleontology. And I wanted to show this is a, the, the, one of the latest versions of a National Geographic. This is on the, uh, on the stands right now. It's, it's just all about dinosaurs. And page five, which I didn't even know this was out until someone messaged me this morning. Page five... There's myself Look at that. and my friend Gussie McCracken, and <laughs> there she is, and that's how it's done. 
We are literally tediously poking away at the rock. She's putting a little bit of plaster on top of a bone. I think I'm excavating uh, one of Triceratops' relatives right there. But that's what I love about it is it, it hasn't changed. You know, you, you no matter the fact that we have rovers on Mars doesn't change the fact that you got to hike up that hill <laughs> with all your water and all your plaster and mm -hmm. maybe you'll find something. And then when you finally find the plaster and put it all together and put it on that bone, you got to carry it back down. <laughs> so I think that's one of the things that's so cool about it. You, you really have to still earn it in paleontology, which I think is something really neat. This is something I always wondered is once the plaster is on the bone and you guys get it back to the museum or, or wherever you work on it, how are you able to not break that bone when you're trying to get the plaster off? Um, it might get broken sometimes, you know, but but the, 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 the goal of the plaster is to keep everything that's there. Intact. Because once you're in the once you're in the, the wonderfully sterile environment of a lab, anything that falls out is going to be right there. So you're not going to lose anything. Mm -hmm. um, and generally speaking, the way we it's called jacketing. When you find a bone, you kind of you excavate the top of it. You try to get you reveal enough of it. That you can see what it is. You can see where the edges is. Every edges are, excuse me. And then you kind of dig under under it and you make this pedestal kind of like a mushroom cap. And the mushroom cap is the where the bone sits in any residual rock that holds it all together. And then you plaster over that cap and underneath that cap. And when that hardens, you flip it over and then you put plaster over that little part where the stem would be sticking out. And then you have everything that's right there confined in that plaster jacket. And once you get it back to the lab, things may fall apart, but you have it all right there. Because there's people, there's people thankfully, whose only uh, job and their only desire is what they love to do is sit there and put things tediously back together. I, I don't want to do that. I'd rather hike the hillsides and with the heavy backpacks and bring it back to the lab and they can sit there and tediously put it all back together. But the jacket just brings everything from the field back to the lab. So you're not losing anything. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How come there's certain areas that are more of a hotbed for, for bones than others? Well, you know, that's a great question. And part of it is uh, there's this simplicity in that, you know, depending on where you are. For example, you know, once you get west of the Mississippi, you know, things get drier. Uh, forests aren't as thick. You know, you look at a forest in anywhere from New England down through Maryland or, or Virginia into the Carolinas, you have these thick deciduous forests. You know, you have ferns, you have thick leaved plants, you have skunk cabbage, you have these heavy trees with big leaves, you know. And then you get out in Colorado and you have evergreens and aspen and sage. It's dry. It's arid. So it literally can, can, can come down to on the East Coast, you have millions of years of dirt. You have millions of years of trees and forests that have fallen down and broken down. And you have millions of years of dirt. In, the, in Colorado, in the Western United States, you have these dry, arid areas and you also have the uplift of the Rockies for the most part, and which is also be similar in, in, in the West Coast, like by the Sierras and stuff. Mm -hmm. You have these mountains that are pushing up and they're literally because of the dryness factor and, and, the, and, the, and the totally different forests. You have entire hillsides sometimes of exposed rock, just exposed rock, which is a lot of, a lot of the stuff I've found with, as far as, for example, footprints. There's areas right down the street where I where I lived. And I've lived in Eagle County for 33 years. But all it takes is a, a heavy spring runoff of snowmelt or a couple really heavy rainstorms, 
And I can walk in an area that I've been for 20 years going up there and just enough dirt has washed away that I'll see stuff that's sitting right there because of the dryness factor. Yeah. So that's part of it. And the other part of it, honestly, Charlotte, it's just where it's just where layers of rock have, have tilted the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the, the whole United States, even mountain areas and non-mountain areas is made up of layers, just like the layers in this magazine, you know. And it all depends on where those layers are pushed up to the surface as to where, what areas are being exposed at the surface. And if they're the right layers that have bones in it, you're going to see stuff. So it's just a matter of stuff being not covered in cities and concrete and asphalt and not being covered in millions of years of dirt and having those layers being right at the surface where you can see footprints or pieces of bone falling out. Yeah, yeah. because you know, like I said earlier when, when the show started, it always seemed like Colorado, even, even when I was little, was, was a hotbed for it all. It is. Well, you know, it's the western United States. It starts all the way up in Canada and you, I mean, Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, North and South Dakota are incredible. South Dakota is the, is the, the center of the universe for Tyrannosaurus Rex. They found more stuff in South Dakota from Tyrannosaurus Rex than any place in the whole world. Or, or I should say not the world, but in, in North America, because T-Rex is a North American uh, dinosaur. It's not found in other places of the world. So mm-hmm. that was a bad analogy. But uh, and it goes all the way through not just those areas, but then into Colorado, into Utah, down into New Mexico, and then all the way to Texas. Texas has incredible dinosaur discoveries in those areas. They have some of the biggest and best trackways ever found are down in Texas. So it really goes all through the entire western United States. It's not just Colorado, but yeah, there's a lot here. And thankfully, the stuff that I'm finding is uh, is increasing our knowledge of not just history of Colorado, but the history of Eagle County, Colorado, right up here in, in the high country in areas where there's not supposed to be dinosaurs, and we're finding lots of stuff. Yeah. I mean, to date, let's well, see. Another question I, I have, too, is this. Go ahead. Can you hear me? So I was, what I was going to say is, so to date, let's see, I've been digging dinosaurs here in Eagle County for 13 years or yeah, prospecting. I have, it's like, okay, if, if the yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of losing you a little bit. I can't hear you. <laughs> if you can hear me, I was gonna say I found dino, I found fossils from about twelve different dinosaurs, plus crocodiles and turtles and sharks and all kinds of cool stuff like that. Did you lose me? I got gotcha. you. There we go. Must be something big happening. The internet's having issues. There's probably a meteor going across the sky right now. Everybody in this neighborhood has Xfinity, and so when something big happens, you know, sorry about that. Xfinity. But like I was saying, um, as far as food supply, I mean, does that are you guys able to tell by location with these dinosaurs why they're there? You know, why there's a concentration of them as a, as far as food supply would be. Well, I don't think it's so much the food supply because they basically were they were they were all kind of eating each other. There was a lot of chowing down going down. I think yeah. I think it's a lot of it just uh, uh, just just they were just a lot here, you know. And you know, specifically, for example, you know, one of the hardest parts about Colorado or even the Western United States is people forget that during the during almost all of the time the dinosaurs were here. I mean, they lived the Triassic, the Jurassic, and the Cretaceous. That's about 170 million years of time. 
Okay. And the asteroid hit 66 million years ago, right at the end of all that. And the Rocky Mountains show up only about 4 million years before that. Okay. So most of the dinosaur time, there was no mountains here at all. It would have been like the Sahara Desert during the Triassic. It would have been like the inland waterways of the Carolinas during mm -hmm. the Jurassic. And as the early Cretaceous came around, it would have been deciduous forests and evergreen forests and stuff like that. So you get an area where you just get a lot of great sedimentary rock, I think is a big part of it. And so a lot of those dinosaurs are preserved in that sand, in that mud, in that maybe volcanic ash, but not lava, but ash. And they're just preserved in that, you know. I mean, here in Colorado, you can go hike anywhere practically in the mountains of Colorado, and I could almost guarantee you're going to come across a deer skeleton. You just are. There, there's deer bones out there. And so during the dinosaur time, there would have been skeletons all over the place from animals that had died naturally or been fed upon, one of those two, and they would have been buried pretty naturally from floods or you know, mm -hmm. some kind of sedimentary thing happening, sand, shifting sand or, or ash falling from a volcano. So you just have lots of skeletons. There's lots. And there's a lot of time involved. You know, millions of years, that's a lot of skeletons. Well, I was going to say, you know, we've been taught over the years that the extinction of these things, you know, it's always like they happen practically overnight. But that didn't happen overnight. No. No, for example... You know, here's a good example I like to I like to talk about, which is interesting. Tyrannosaurus Rex, probably the most popular, is the best Hollywood agent of any dinosaur. Okay. You know, Tyrannosaurus Rex, of the 170 million years of time that dinosaurs lived, T-Rex showed up the last probably, give or take, four million years, give or take a million years. Right at the end, that one dinosaur was here three to four million years at the end right there. So... If it was here for three to four million years, let's conservatively say there was a million and a million or two million and a half T-Rexes that hatched out of the egg, made it to adulthood and died of old age or for whatever reason. OK, we've only found skeletons or semi-complete skeletons from 15, Wow. 15 and maybe another random tooth or bone from another hundred, let's say, give or take. So that's 115, and these are kind of conservative guessing, out of a million to a million and a half animals. So it's it's a real treasure when you do find something. Absolutely. It's absolute jackpot lottery to find anything from dinosaurs, you know. Right. Let's talk about your museum. T tell me yeah. about your museum. The Museum at Dinosaur Junction here in Edwards, Colorado. Um, it's It's a passion project. It, uh, I, I basically, about eight years ago, through all my, uh, my expedition work with the Denver Museum, with National Geographic, and other organizations, I got to a point where I had all these friends who had kids. I don't have any kids myself. And they would ask me, hey, come over for dinner and tell us what you found. You know, my Johnny's dying to know what you found. Do you have any pictures or anything like that? And so I realized that obviously there is, there is a lot of interest in it because it's very cool to see pictures of a of a big horned dinosaur while it's still sitting in the rock. You know, you were used to seeing it in the museum, but when it's, what does it look like when it's still sitting in the rock? And so I realized that there was a kind of a, a, a desire for this information, so to speak. And, and living in a, in a resort town here up in Eagle County and near, near, not far from Vail, the ski resort and Beaver Creek for that example, we have people all the time asking, especially in the summertime, where can my kid go to, to dig up fossils? Where can my kid go to learn about dinosaurs? And so 
I kind of just, I, about eight years ago, I rented out a vacant lot down the street and I built a kid's dinosaur camp. I built a big quote unquote dinosaur quarry, filled it with sand and I would seed it with shark's teeth and ammonite fossils and all these things. And, and that just blew up. And I had all these families and we're in our eighth year with record numbers every year, climbing numbers. And amongst that, I realized that, you know what, as I'm finding more stuff right in this area, and I, like I said earlier, I don't know if you guys heard me, we kind of cut out. I've, I've found fossils from about 12 different dinosaurs in the last 11 or 12 years, from stuff about this tall to stuff that was over 100,000 pounds, meat eaters, plant eaters, stegosaurus, allosaurus, brachiosaurus, you know, ankylosaurus with the sledgehammer. These are all animals that live right down the street, plus fossils from crocodiles, sharks, turtles. And I realized that, you know, in all the years, in the 33 years I've lived up here, we're a little bit removed from things up in the high country. We're in these little mountain towns. We don't have stuff at our fingertips. You know, we don't have, we usually, a lot of these towns close down early. We don't have, you know, all night food places. We don't have museums to go to. And some of the greatest museums are right down in Denver. Denver Museum of Nature and Science, Dinosaur Ridge in the town of Morrison, the Morrison Museum of Natural History. These are great places. And to the west of us, we have the museum in Fruta, Colorado, right near the Utah border. And all those areas are an hour and a half either direction. So we're an hour and a half from all those places sitting up here in the mountains. And I thought, God dang it, we should have our own museum. I'm finding so much stuff literally in our backyard. And so I kind of started this rough kind of fun museum at the kids camp that was more for the kids could enjoy it while the parents were dropping them off. And then all of a sudden I had people dropping in. Well, we drove up from Denver. We heard you had a museum. And I went, oh, geez, now the pressure's on. And so we had people emailing us from, we're coming out from New York. We're going to be traveling in Colorado. We're going to come see your museum. And I'm like, wow, like this is getting some steam. It's starting to get a little momentum. And uh, so that was about three years that I had the museum literally in these giant uh, old military tents, these old Vietnam era tents that were 30 feet long and 18 feet wide and these big canvas tents. And they were hot as hell in the summertime. In the wintertime, the snow would practically crush them every winter. And But we made it work. And then this year, I thought, you know, we need to really bring this to the next level. And we're able to find literally a school right in the middle of Edwards here in the little town of Edwards that had not been used in like three years. It's an old elementary school. And we're able to take over the cafeteria. And then we're hoping to get the auditorium in a couple of years. But it's this giant room that we moved everything into. All of our beautiful glass cases with fossils and big replica pieces. And then the, the, the county and the community is so supportive and so excited about it. We raised quite a bit of money pretty quick. And now we brought in these giant skeletons. So we have these huge life-size skeletons. One of them's 51 feet long. One of them's 30 feet long. And we have all this cool stuff. Allosaurus, Camarasaurus. We have some raptor stuff. We're bringing in a T-Rex this winter. And the community is right behind us 100%, plus all the guests that show up. But if you want to check it out, it's dinosaurjunction.org. And uh, we're growing rapidly. And the goal is in the next few years to be a, a bona fide paleontological lab up here in the high country and hopefully to be kind of a satellite place for the Denver Museum, you know, as they do stuff in Utah or places west that they can be a satellite museum where we are. And we can all work together with Dinosaur Ridge, with the Morrison Museum of Natural History, with the Museum of the Rockies and Fruta. And it's just this giant thing where we're all like-minded people that are, we want to betterment. We, we, all we want to do is better the whole the knowledge of dinosaurs. We want to entertain. We want people that are excited about the subject to be able to 
just submerse themselves in it and be like, oh, my God, stand under these skeletons and just be, be overwhelmed by them. I have a question about the skeletons now. Yeah. Where do you get those? So it's great, great question. So everything that I have found to date is for the most part all on BLM land. It's on Bureau of Land Management, government land. And I need excavation permits to remove those things. So everything I've found is still sitting in the hills, literally just still sitting up there. I know I know where every one of my dinosaurs is. I know where everything is, whether it's a tooth or a whole skeleton, I know where they are. I GPS mark everything, but I also know where they are because those kind of like my kids. Um, so what we do is when we know what we've found, we, when we're able to identify what it is we have found we then go to these various companies, and there's quite a few out there, and they do cast replicas. They have a whole catalog of dinosaurs. So most museums around the world that you go to, you're not looking at the real bones when you look at those okay. massive skeletons. You're looking at, at replicas because there's a couple of factors involved. The real ones, A, are, are it's rare to find the whole skeleton. So you'd look, you would see a skeleton with a lot of bones missing. And the other thing is they're so fragile, rare, and heavy that to try and put the real ones on display, it's a huge undertaking. God forbid something happened and the roof collapsed and that skeleton's toast. It turns to dust. So a lot of museums don't have the real things. The Denver Museum of Nature and Science is one of the few that does. And their prehistoric journey is incredible. They're, that's an amazing staff there. And what they have is really, really cool. But most museums, you're looking at replicas. And so there's companies that do those. And then when they show up as a thousand pound crate, you have the most amazing jigsaw puzzle to put together. Yeah, I was just thinking of that because the, the, like the Monterey Bay Aquarium has that big whale. Yeah. And, then, and they've got it hanging from the ceiling. And I thought, okay. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know about that one. I mean, right. that's, that's, uh, if that's all real, that is one heck of a support system holding all that up because, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. One, one whale vertebra is pretty heavy. Yeah. You know, the chances are it's probably a replica because it's hanging from the ceiling. God yeah. forbid, yeah. ever gave way and fell to the floor. But you know, but I don't I don't know honestly. I don't know. Yeah, I've always wondered about those because even, yeah. even 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 um, in San Francisco at, at the Natural History Museum, they have a couple, and I always wondered, you know, if they were real or, or, or not the whale, but I mean just dinosaurs or if they were real in general. Yeah. Well, you I mean like I said, often when you find a skeleton, it's it's not all there. Very very little of it is there usually. And often if you find a skull, the body's not there. You find the body, the skull's not there. So it's very rare to find the whole thing. And then you look at, like, for example, in World War II, you know, the bombings in London, the bombings in, in Berlin, those just completely decimated all the natural collections of the of cities, museums that were in all those areas. Mm -hmm. Completely destroyed. I mean, just recently, they're, they're finally getting a, a good handle on what Spinosaurus, the famous mm -hmm. Spinosaurus dinosaur, really looked like. You know, the original one found... I think it was found in the late 1800s or early 1900s, was completely decimated in World War II. It just turned to dust. All they had left was photographs of it. So, you know, there's reasons they don't put the real stuff out in a lot of places. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you, so um, for, your muse, for your museum, when, when, when you do find something, yeah, how do you go about, like you, like you say, you got to deal with, with BLM. So yeah. what, what happens? You, you locate it and then you have to notify them or how's that work? I locate it. And then because, because, you know, paleontology and fossil hunting, there's a real uh, gray area around it. And it, there's a lot of attention that's brought to it. And often that attention's not positive. You get people that want to steal stuff. You get people that want to chip away bones. They want to steal footprints. They want to try and sell them on the black market or on eBay or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and I totally understand why the BLM has the whole permit thing set in place. I totally get it. It can be frustrating at times. 
But um, what I do is when I find something, I, I photograph it. Well, I photograph whatever I can see. I don't dig. I say I dig up dinosaurs and a prospect for dinosaurs. I might dig down a few inches to see what might be there, but I'm not digging several feet into the ground to try and bring this bone out because I can't do anything with it and I don't want to ruin it. So I'll look to see what's there. And then generally, because we're in the mountains and you have a lot of hillsides, when a bone starts peeking out, it starts crumbling and bits and pieces start sliding and falling down the hillside. And that's your first inclination that there's something there is you start finding bits and pieces of bone and you literally backtrack up to where it's coming from and then see what's there. So I'll collect everything that's on the hillside. I'll spend hours collecting stuff that's even the size of a pea and get everything I can get together. And I'll carry a few plastic containers with me and I'll put everything in there, screw a top on and I'll bury it in the hillside where it came out of. I just bury it and I'll GPS mark it and I'll take some photographs. And then I usually, what I do is I connect with someone at the BLM or someone at the Denver Museum, for example, to, just to get on someone's radar to mm -hmm. say, hey, I found this thing here. I just want you guys to know because it's just a weird thing. You know, you don't ever want to be start being questioned that you're stealing stuff, that you're, you know, black marketing things, that you're, you know, saying you didn't find anything and it's wrapped up in your car under the tire well or something like that. So the first thing I do is I say, hey, he, I found this. What do you want to do? <laughs> I'd love to have a permit so I can excavate it, but you're not going to do that for right. me right now. But I want you to know that this is right here. So if you want to send someone from your office out to try and preserve this, awesome. But if not, I just want you to know it's here. And generally speaking, that you know, that's any like anything, any government entity, they're they're very busy. You know, they're often they're often overwhelmed. And you know, when it comes to dinosaur bones, especially in the Western United States, they're all over the place. There's a lot of them, and so they have no necessarily. When I say they, the BLM, they have no necessarily necessarily any kind of concern that what I found is anything so spectacular. So they're not going to rush out. Okay. So that's kind of what I do. I just put it on someone's radar and then I leave it there. There's stuff when I go hiking in an area that I've been prospecting here for 12 years, I walk by stuff that I found 12 years ago and it's still sitting there and I can't do anything about it. And, you know, now that we have our official dinosaur museum, we have our brick and mortar, mortar museum, uh -huh. the museum at Dinosaur Junction here in Edwards. I think we might have a better chance to get uh, an actual permit from them that allow us to go out and excavate. And instead of that bone turning to dust, we can we can carefully bring that bone down to the museum here in the middle of Eagle County and it can be on display for families and guests to see and it can be studied. Or if it's nothing, if it's something they already know everything about, at least it can be appreciated by people who like dinosaurs instead of mm -hmm. it sitting up there and just turning to crumbled dust, which right, is what's right, right. eventually. Well, I was wondering how that worked because I mean, like in the area I live in, there's a lot of Native Americans, you know, there were a lot of Native Native Americans. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. know, it's interesting because people stuff, it's a whole different story when it comes to people. Whole different story. If you're in a construction site, for example, here in Eagle County or most places, if you come across human, everything comes to a stop. Legally, that's it. It just stops. And in fact, but but the out, but usually when it's dinosaurs, or not even when, usually it's when it's dinosaurs, it comes down to the decision of the people who own the land. They can either say, if this is a multi-million dollar project going on, no, you're not gonna stop. If you want to dig those bones up, or maybe I'll send some out to someone out to dig them up while you're working, but this production's not gonna stop. It's mm -hmm. their call. 
they don't have to stop for dinosaurs or even ice age stuff like woolly mammoths. They can just barrel right through if they want to. But people is a totally different thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how how many times do you go out looking? I usually go out. You know, honestly, I'm I'm very happy to say I don't get to go out that much in the summer. Because I'm so busy with my kids camp. I get hundreds of kids all summer long. I said I don't have kids earlier. I don't need kids. I get hundreds of them every summer. And I get to have fun you know, digging fossils. So I'm so busy with the kids camp. I do, uh, I do dinosaur shows in Beaver Creek Village, in the ski village up here in Beaver Creek, both summer and winter. Winter is pretty funny. You literally see people standing out there holding their skis in the middle of a snowstorm asking questions about Tyrannosaurus Rex. So I do these shows up in the village and I'm in my seventh year doing those. So I'm busy. I do three of those a week. Um, I do the kids uh, a couple times a week. I do private fossil hunts and fossil digs. And then, um, and then I have the museum, which I, when I have any, any free time, I'm at the museum uh, walking kids through, walking families through. So I don't get to look, do a lot in the summer and that's okay because summer is so hot that I don't want to be out in the field when it's 110 degrees. So as, as things taper off this summer, we start getting closer to fall. I'm going to slow down with the kids camp. Uh, the, the museum will probably slow down a little bit. The shows in Beaver Creek will stop and that'll be my time to like get out and go look for stuff. And in areas that I've been looking every, you know, every, every summer I've been looking, but like I said, all it takes is a little bit of snow melt and some rain. And we've had some terrific rains here in the last few weeks. So I know I'm going to find stuff in areas that I've, that I've been for 12 years, but have seen nothing. So that's when that's going to happen when things cool down a little bit. And, and, and I'm so excited because that's my, my favorite thing to do is be out there looking, you know, even if I don't find anything, it's still, it's, it's the excitement of the hunt and what you might find, which is great. <laughs> Let's talk about the kids camp because I know when these big shows come, you know, these big dino shows come like the Sacramento, they always have a little digging area for kids yeah. you know, so they can find fossils. What's your kids camp like? So our kids camp is basically it's in Walcott, Colorado. And if you I don't know if any of your viewers have ever been out to the to Eagle County in the Vale area, but it's uh it's the I-70 corridor. All these little towns are right along I-70. And and it's just a couple miles down the street from Edwards, Colorado. And uh, I basically have it set up kind of like a paleontological field camp. When you go out with a museum or an, exp an expedition with a museum or, or, or a university or something like that, you go out into the field and you're out there for many weeks at a time. It's usually, it's often shifts of people that come and go. Sometimes there's a few people who are there the entire time, but you're out in the middle of nowhere for many weeks. And so they usually set up a field camp, which consists of two major big tents. One of them is the utility tent with all your tools and all your uh, you know supplies and plaster and things like that. And the other tent is your kitchen tent, which has all your water and your food and your kitchen stuff. And then people set their tents up around the outskirts of that. And that's kind of a way a field camp is set up. So our kids camp is set up much like that. It gives the kids, when you show up, you get the sense that you're in like in Jurassic Park. There's these giant tents cool. and there's all this stuff around. And it's very kind of um, expedition looking, which is cool because, you know, in all the years I've been doing it, I kind of feel like I've, lost the facade looking at it you know maybe because i'm so used to seeing it right and it's often that thing that what is that cliche that you can't see the forest because the trees or something like that mm -hmm. and so every now and again i'll get a family it shows up and the first thing they say they're like this is like jurassic park and i go thank god because i've been looking at it so much i'm afraid it's not cool anymore but the kids love that and so it's we have these like big tents set up with underneath them one of them's like a like a like a presentation area i do these shows and i have big 
replica pieces of Tyrannosaurus Rex and parts of Stegosaurus. And we pretend we're paleontologists and we figure out how these animals use these pieces of their body. What did Stegosaurus use those big plates on his back for? What did he use the spikes on his tail? So I let them process it and figure out and then they get to think like paleontologists and then we have a big dig pit which is about a big circle of sand about 30 feet in diameter and there's like life-size replicas of t-rex bones and skulls and stuff and then i seed that with all kinds of different shark teeth like ancient fossil sharks teeth or ammonite shells or little chunks of bone or just things brachiopods like clams um things that kids just love to find and i bury it all and each camp, we go in there and you excavate. You start looking for the T-Rex and you you see a part of the skull and you start bringing back the sand to see the whole mouth. And as you're doing that, these fossils are popping up. And then I'm there with my fossil book and I just love doing it. So I'm like a kid. So I'm excited. I'm like, oh, you found a brachiopod or you found a crinoid. And I'll open the book and go, that's what it looked like when it was alive. And they're like, oh, my God, and they're losing their mind because they found this thing, even though I planted it. They found it and they're like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And, and then behind camp, there's a whole bunch of land back there that's privately owned. And this incredible guy here in Vail called named Patrick Churchilla. And he runs a vineyard called Vines at Vail. Great, great place. Terrific guy. And he's given me permission to take kids out on his property. And we find stuff out there. We find shark's teeth. We find beautiful shells. We find ammonite things. We've actually found mosasaur bones, a big giant reptile mosasaurs and and since it's private land he's like you just go and if you find something you know put it in the museum or let the kid keep it whatever you want because when it comes to that kind of stuff you know with blm you need permits but right. if it's private land whatever the landowner says is is law so and it's it's just a lot of fun it gives the kids a chance to kind of be a paleontologist and just have fun asking anything they ever ever wants to know about dinosaurs you know, it's not a kind of camp where you just drop kids off for the day and the parents go and do whatever. This is a camp where kids who like dinosaurs go to, and that's it. So it's really, you know, it's, all the kids are among like-minded kids, and there's great friendships created, and it's just a lot of fun. You were any kids like me, you know, that, that were really into that stuff and, and could probably, kind of like the kid in Jurassic Park, who can tell you a few things. <laughs> <laughs> it never ends. I kid you not, there's absolutely days where I learn from those kids. Because like I was saying earlier in the program, they're discovering so much stuff all the time. I can't keep up with it. And so these kids will come in and go, what about blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, thinking in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what the hell it is. And later on, I look it up. They're like, I'm like, oh, my God, he was right. They just discovered this one like last year or something like that. And so it never ceases to amaze me how much I can learn from them because they're so excited about it. And it's a place where they can show up. I've had kids showed up dressed like paleontologists. I've had kids showed up dressed like me. I've had kids showed up with their dinosaur books and they are like so ready to go. And it's, it's really that much fun. It's pretty cool. And then you get these kids who are so young that can barely say the word yellow, but they can rattle off Parasaurolophus no problem. <laughs> so that's always funny to watch too. Do you think the movies have have given paleontology a huge a huge boost? I think so, absolutely. Yeah, I think without a doubt. I think movies, all the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies. I think uh, even going far back as Indiana Jones, from all the way to the first one of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think they that they gave a huge push to the whole idea of uh, of searching for our ancient world, whether it's ancient people or whether it's ancient animals. 
Mm -hmm. I think that they've given that big lift and given a huge polish to the, the realm of science. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the natural sciences are are something that was probably kind of overlooked or underlooked, I should say, for a while. And then when those movies came out, I think it was just, uh, you know, kind of like when Top Gun came out, people were lining up to fly fighter jets. And right. when the Jurassic Park movies came out, kids were just, they could finally fly their freak flag that they liked dinosaurs and no one can make fun of them because here was a movie making hundreds of millions of dollars because everyone wanted to see it. And I think it definitely gave a big boost to it for sure. Now, here's a question along that line. Yeah. There's scientists out there that are trying to recreate the, the, the woolly mammoth. What do you think of that? I think, well, I think we're going we're gonna to see woolly mammoths in the next couple of years for sure. Mm -hmm. and, that's a, and that's a crazy thought. Right. <laughs> that's a crazy thought. There's going to be a point where the, you're going to turn on the news and they're going to go, here's a woolly mammoth. It's living, breathing, and eating hay at a, at a zoo in Minneapolis. And you're going to be like, what? But it's going to happen. You know, what was it? It was just it was just only less than three weeks ago they found, like, one of the most well-preserved woolly mammoths ever found. It was some gold hunters in Alaska, I think, and they found a baby woolly mammoth, and babies weren't completely covered with hair. And that thing looked like it had been buried for a couple months when it thawed out, it had rosy cheeks on its, its skin was pink. And it was like, oh, my God. You know, and that goes way back to the 1800s. You know, there's there's ranchers and farmers in Siberia that for for centuries prior to the 1800s had found woolly mammoths and they thawed them out and fed them to their dogs. And that was just what they did. Oh, yeah, another woolly mammoth. They didn't know that there are these extinct things that that were so precious. They were just these things they came across all the time as the ground melted and they fed them to their dogs. So, you know, we'll, I think we'll absolutely see them in the next few years. I think we'll see, I think we'll definitely see woolly mammoths probably first. And I think along those lines, as, as that progresses, there's a good chance you're going to see the giant ground sloths, uh, the saber tooth cats, the, the cave bears, the giant short, short faced bears, those animals that were just massive during the ice age. As far as dinosaurs, I can't say never. I mean, I can't say never. Who knows what we're going to discover tomorrow? They, they actually have found some dinosaur bones. They found T-Rex bones that were 67 million years old and still had tissue that you could and let go and it like bent back. Technically soft tissue. It was not usable DNA, but who knows what computers will be able to do in the next few years. They could fill in all those sequences of stuff that's missing. So I don't know that we'll never see dinosaurs they won't say i can't imagine we'll see them in my lifetime but it's exciting and you know and then you get that question that you hear from people all the time what well, do you think they should be doing that yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't think it's about that they're gonna do it this is this is you know this is the 21st century it's all about the almighty dollar if someone yeah. can create a t-rex they're gonna make a billion dollars in like one day of course they're gonna do it you know well it's like that last not the, not the last jurassic park movie but the one before that one when they brought them over from the island and they were auctioning them off as, as, yeah. as, as war weapons, you know? So somebody's yeah. going to do this. Somebody's going to make money off these things if they make them. That's what's yeah. frightening. Absolutely. It's not a matter of should we. It's like they're going to do it no matter what. At some point, it's just yeah. a matter of, would you pay? would you pay 50 bucks to see a woolly mammoth? Yes, I, I can honestly say I, I would. would. Absolutely. I really would. Whether it's an actual true woolly mammoth or a hybrid, I'd want to see it for sure. I'm I want to see a living one. Absolutely. 
So in looking at everything that you have found so far, what do you think is the biggest find that, that, that you have had? That I found, gosh, you know what, Charlotte, I've been so blessed. And um, for someone that's not a, for someone that's not a PhD or a school paleontologist, I've been blessed. Uh, the people I've met, the people I've known. I mean, I've shown up in so many of these incredible magazines like National Geographic. I, I can't even ask for more. And even down to the discoveries, I've dug up, I've dug up pterosaurs, the flying reptiles. I've found bones from giant marine creatures. I've dug up Tyrannosaurus rex's cousins, Teratophonius, who lived about seven million years or ten million years before T. Rex. I found one of the largest Teratophonius teeth ever found in Utah on one of our expeditions. Yeah, he 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 looks like he looks like T. Rex. He looks he looks like a smaller T. Rex is what he looks like. Um, but I think as far as some of the most amazing discoveries I personally have made, Allosaurus is one of my favorite dinosaurs because it's the first one I ever found bones from. And I found those bones only about five miles from where I'm sitting right now. And along with the bones were, were uh, footprints. Um, another one of my favorites is a, is a dinosaur called Pentaceratops, who looked like Triceratops, but he also had a huge spike on either cheek. So he had five instead of three. So thus Penta. And we found that on a Nat Geo expedition in Utah with the Denver Museum. And I was, <laughs> funny story, you know, you always find stuff <laughs> when you're going to take a pee. So yeah. I've been working on this baby dinosaur in an area. We were way in the badlands of Utah. We were 50 miles from any, any kind of civilization. And we were working on a baby uh, horned dinosaur that we had found. And I had to go, I was going to take a break, go pee, whatever. And I'm hiking around and I'm coming back to the group. And I look down on this big washout in these badlands and there's this huge beak it literally looked like a bone version of a giant parrot beak is what it looked like and in real life that big chunk of bone would have been covered with keratin like our fingernails to make a big it would have looked like a giant parrot beak and what it was was the beak of a horned dinosaur called pentaceratops and we found that out later because where i found the beak i looked on the hill and there was all this bone material coming down the hill and so I figured this had to have broken out of the hillside up there and rolled down. And the greatest thing, and this is the coolest thing about paleontology, I just happened to be there at that moment, and that beak was sitting right there. If one rainstorm would have come by, it would have washed that away. It would have been gone, but mm -hmm. it was right there, and it was 76 million years old. And I happened to be right there when it was sitting at the bottom of the hill, and I worked my way up the hill, dug into the hillside, and to make a long story short, the whole thing was there. This whole dinosaur had died and just fallen like, like an elephant that just went straight down. And the head was just kind of sitting like this. And over millions of years, dirt and rock built up. So the whole thing was smashed down. And as millions of years of erosion in Utah occurred and rainstorms dig, dug away these badlands, the first thing to poke out was the beak. And it broke off and fell down the hill. And I happened to be walking through at that moment, and there it was. And that's one of the things that's magic to me about paleontology, because now I am part of that animal's whole story. Wow. I just breached, or, or, or con I don't know, breached, connected, I don't know what you just, br uh, bridged. 76 million years of time, and I'm now connected to that animal. I'm the first living thing to find it. I'm the first person to brush away the dirt and have the sunlight rest on its face in 76 million years. Mm. The whole thing was sitting there. 
It wow. took us a year and a half to get the skull out. The skull is sitting in the Denver Museum. The body is still in Utah. We would have had to remove the equivalent of about a three or 4,000 square foot building to get the body out because of the steep hill that was it was on. And so when it comes to the horned dinosaurs, the difference in the animals is in the heads. The bodies are kind of interchangeable, for lack of a better word. So we just left the body. So that was an incredibly exciting thing to find because as we started removing the rock and the dirt, the thing was kind of laying sideways. And I'll never forget the day that I brushed away the dirt and I was literally staring into the eye socket of this huge skull. It was sitting on its right side. So the left eye was just sticking up at me and it was just this open hole. And I'm looking at it going, oh my God, like I'm part of this animal story. And there's this huge horn coming out, a huge cheek horn. And as we re removed more, the giant frill was there with these huge spikes that folded over. It's like looking at a gigantic version of a dinosaur toy. And it's right there in the rock. So that was one of the most exciting things for sure was that. Absolutely. Let me yeah. ask you about uh, dating these things. How are you able to get uh, the, the ages on them? The ages? Well, me personally, I, I have the luxury of being able to refer to the PhDs that do all that. And a lot of that, honestly, like in, even in areas around here that I go prospect, I have the luxury of the U.S. Geological Survey, which has been going on for over 100 years. You know, look at like the... The Lewis and Clark expedition, they were surveying all of that area. They were, they're, they're laying out the maps of the United States of America. And within a lot of those U.S. geological survey maps, you can anyone, anyone of your viewers can look up any map of the United States and zoom in on any part of that state, whatever state you want to choose. And it'll show layers of rock within whatever county it is you want to zoom in on. And they'll tell you, is it Ice Age? Is it Jurassic? Is it Triassic? Is it Permian? And then if you get an idea what those levels are, then you go in and start looking. But they they measure all those things, and that that gets into a process that's kind of above above and beyond me. That's chemical. It's uh, it's um it's nuclear. It's uh, radioactive dating. It's all this stuff that's beyond my pay grade. Honestly, I, I just uh, I put a lot of faith in in the science, but I absolutely I absolutely believe in the science myself. Okay. Okay. When it comes to that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you say to people? Um, when somebody walks up to you and says, okay, you're a dinosaur guy, so what? What do you say to people who get so what? and so excited? What? Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I, I absolutely, I've had, I've had many kids, teenagers that have come to my shows or even uh, older brothers and sisters of kids that have come to camp, and they don't care at all. They're like, yeah, whatever. And you know what? By the time I'm done, they're so into it. They're so excited and they're, they're asking so many questions that I'm like, all right, I did my job. And all I did was share my information and excitement with them. I have parents. I are not necessarily parents. I've had adults that come up to me. I've had adults. I've had the conversation with people who don't believe in dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. I've had people, um, I've had the conversation with people who believe that the earth is 7,000 years old. Um, I've had all those conversations and you know what? I, I love talking to people. I absolutely respect anyone's belief in anything. If you believe it, you know, fair dinkum. If you believe that you're going to sprout wings and fly in a couple of years, more power to you. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to happen. But if you believe that, then if that's what you need to get through your world, more power to you. So I, I've had conversations with people who get into that kind of semi-religious thing about, 
prehistoric stuff and ages of things. And, um, you know, that's, that's like, we all just, we reserve, we reserve the right to believe what we believe. And I respect the, I respect everyone's belief. I may not agree with it, but I'm going to certainly respect if that's what you believe. You have a magnetic personality for this stuff because you enjoy it so much. And <laughs> I so felt like a child, see, yeah. I can see how you can get the non-believers to believe. You know, the little, <laughs> like the teens that are well, like, oh, God, whatever. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, even if you get a parent that comes up to you that they're not sure, they don't believe them, if you hand them, if you hand them a giant prehistoric megalodon tooth oh. and they hold it in their hands, they're going to go, oh, my God. I don't even know how to respond to this. Yeah. So they kind of speak for themselves sometimes. Here's a question. That's probably the last question we have tonight. When you're walking along and you're looking for these bones, how can you tell that it's a dinosaur bone as opposed to just a, a petrified wood or something? Yeah. Great question. Um, you know, generally speaking, it comes down to having the trained eye. And the trained eye is, is something as simple as when we were children, at one point we walked down the beach and we didn't know what a shell was mm -hmm. until, we, until we learned what a shell was. And then we can recognize a shell versus a rock versus a piece of seaweed. And then bones, you know, bones have their own kind of uh, recognition. I mean, I can show you this piece right here. And you might think, oh, that just looks like a bone. But if I show you... There's, there's things in here. There's, there's holes. I can show you the shape of it. You see that hole? Mm -hmm. This is a, this is the lower jaw of a triceratops is what this is. Whoa. And that hole right there is where nerve endings went right all the way through this jawbone. So there starts being details that you recognize that are not just a rock. You okay. know, if I show you a, a, an ammonite shell, you know, this is a this is this is a fossil. This is a hundred million years old. That's not just a rock. You know, that's a shell. That's something you can't argue that that is. And this one's cut in half and polished. That's why it looks like that. But you know, that's a, that's a fossil. So it, it it just comes down to, to 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 kind of honing in on what it is you're looking for. And when it, when it particularly comes to dinosaur bone, if I had a dinosaur bone and a rock. I could show you the difference between the two and you would start recognizing that difference. In fact, I have a chunk right here. I don't know if you can see it on camera, but I'm going to hold it up. So this is, this is a chunk of dinosaur bone and you're looking at it and going, it's like a rock. It's just like, it's like a rock. But if I show you, this is the outside. It's very smooth. And if I show you that white crumbly stuff, that's the marrow. That's the fossilized marrow right there. So you start looking at things that, and, and you can, you can see it. You can literally see it in the rock. You're, you're looking at it going, well, that's definitely not a rock. That looks like, it looks like a stone sponge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what would it, what would a stone sponge be doing in the Rocky mountains? So then you kind of like start, you can, you can see it. It's just, you start recognizing um, the difference. But again, it go, all goes back to, there was a time when we were children walking on a beach and we didn't know what a shell was until right. adult pointed right. out, this is a shell. And now you can't walk down a beach without looking at even pieces of shells, mm -hmm. giant little, you know, little structures and pieces. Oh, those are pieces of shells. Well, you're recognizing it as a shell and not just something. So it's I went through that, I went through that myself as a, as a young teen uh, on fishing trips and uh, arrowheads, you know, yeah. with, with an arrowhead and stuff and finally figuring out what, the, you know, what, what an actual arrowhead, arrowhead yep. is. 
Because I've never found an arrowhead. I've never found an arrowhead in my entire life. In all of my hunting, I've never found an arrowhead. I've never found a shark's tooth on a beach ever, but I find them in the Rocky Mountains. So you never know where your lucky spot's going to be. So that's the last question for me is, so at one time, what that what that tells me with the Rocky Mountains, the Rocky Mountains were underwater at one time. Totally underwater where we are. It would have been like a Caribbean ocean, a shallow, beautiful tropical ocean. And we find shark's teeth from many different kinds of sharks. We find giant bones from prehistoric reptiles. We find coral reefs and pieces of coral. I find clam shells that are five feet across. Clam shells at 8,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains. So, yeah, that definitely tells me this was underwater. You know what? This hour went by. I could sit here all day and talk to you. It goes by fast. I'm happy to come on anytime you want to have me. Oh, absolutely. We're going to have to do this again. I'd absolutely. love to, Charlie. How can people find you, sir? So you can contact me through our website for the museum called dinosaurjunction.org. And also through the kids' website. The kids' camp is Fossil Posse, F-O-S-S-I-L-P-O-S-S-E, fossilposse.com. I'd love to hear from any of your uh, viewers and watchers and answer any questions that I might be able to help you guys with. All right. Well, thank you so much. And again, I will definitely be in touch with you because I, I, I can sit here for hours. <laughs> Charlotte, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. I look forward to it. Take care, everyone. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. All right, guys. That was too cool. That was really, really cool. I got to put my knowledge to, to work all those years of pestering my parents. Tomorrow, David John Oates is going to be with us from Australia, and David John Oates has done studies on reverse speech, and he's, he's done reverse speech on some very interesting people that I think you guys will be inter will be fascinated by. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to say what because I'm not going to give it away, but that'll be our usual time at 6:30 p.m. Pacific. Um, if you like the show, please do follow. Hit that follow button on Facebook. Hit that follow button on 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 the other stuff. <laughs> My mind's like y'all. I'm still thinking about dinosaurs. If you like the show, <laughs> hit that follow button on Facebook, hit that follow button on Twitch, and click on that little ghost with the magnifying glass down there in the right-hand corner if you're on YouTube. Um, this, I just can't say so much. This guy has so much enthusiasm, and he draws you into to, to what he's doing. I, I wish I could go to Colorado and, walk and, and like you know go to his fossil camp thing, because that would be really cool. But anyway, tomorrow, like I said, uh, David John Oates will be with us. Reverse speech we're going to be discussing. Anyway, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people anyway. We're just trying to give followers equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Visit us at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. You'll find all our shows there. Plus, you'll find our uh, blog talk shows there because we were on blog talk for about 10 years before we even decided to do this, this format of the show. So uh, we've, we've been busy for a long time doing this stuff. Uh, oh, hang on. Ooh, okay. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming, and uh, you see that ticker down at the bottom of the page? That's because California Haunts is, does not take any money to investigate. It's all out of our own pockets, actually my pocket, because I'm the owner. So if you could find in your heart to help me out, that would be great. I want to keep this show on the air. We've been on two years. I didn't know if we were going to be on this long, you know, but you, for the people that have helped us out uh, with funds, thank you. I want to thank you all because we wouldn't be here without you. There's just no way that, that, that we'd be here without you. So uh, for the rest of you, no, I'm not kidding. Uh, but uh, it does help to get, to, to get those extra funds in. So if you could uh, drop a little at paypal.me at California Haunts, that would be great. 
Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, we do have a Venmo that's California Haunts. But I would really appreciate it. You know, I've got internet bills just like anybody else and all that good stuff. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming. And I'm going to give you his contact information before we before I leave. And here we go. Let me get this over there. There we go. And here we go. Websites, fossilposse.com and dinosaurjunction.org. Okay, well, I will see you guys tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a nice night. If it's Monday or Wednesday night, then it must be California Haunts Radio Night. Please take this time to gather. This is how my day... If it's Monday or Wednesday night, then it must be California Haunts Radio Night. Please take this time to gather some popcorn, hamburgers, hot dogs, maybe even dinner or whatever.